Oh, Merry Christmas. I guess it's after Christmas now, so it's New Year's is coming. Do you guys get what you want? Are you satisfied? Did you make that special person in your life feel noticed or loved or heard? I don't know. Where am I going with that? Um, spoiler alert. I didn't. Spoiler alert. Uh, not good with um, connecting with people. I know this podcast is this really vain attempt by me to make it seem like I can connect with people, but ultimately... Oh, man, where am I going with this? Stop it. <laughs> this week on the podcast, Timmy Dugan. Timmy, um, we did a podcast a while ago at Torque Colorado's, but he's back. First return visitor. Uh, he's just retired, and we had a, a talk about it. I ran into Boulder about a week or two ago and interviewed a, a million people, and he was one of them. So... Uh, I think it's really great, and uh, you're going to hear two uh, goodbyes or two thank yous because what happens sometimes is that we have these conversations, and, you know, everybody's pretty good, but then sometimes I'll thank them and I'll turn the mic off, and there's, like, almost a press release, and then they start opening up more. And this happened with Timmy, so um, you're going to hear one goodbye and thank you, but then uh, just stay put because it, it's going to come back around. And, you know, Bowie's always going to be your closer. So when you hear Bowie, boom, you know it's going to Bowie. Uh, podcast this week, as always, sponsored by Carl Cyclist. And um, I really uh, can't thank them enough. They, uh, they're helping me out. And, uh, you know, they're helping bring you guys theoretically something you don't mind hopefully you enjoy it at least you at the very minimum you don't mind it so i appreciate that there's something i do that you guys don't mind um yeah i mean i'm, I'm gonna work out a pod i'm gonna work out some kind of contest here soon where you guys can win something and for thanking them you know not that you need it because you guys have proven that you don't need it but you know i, I want to show my thanks to you guys too um I was thinking I was going to do something on the podcast here where, um, you know, because sometimes I try to get like, you know, like I try to say something open and meaningful and maybe hopefully it translates to other people. And, uh, I, I, you know, I get really self-censoring and, and, and I, uh, I closed down and then I, I stopped doing it. So, um, I figured one way to do it would just to be say something incredibly embarrassing every podcast. And if you guys want to join in, then you could tweet me something incredibly embarrassing about yourself. So uh, let me do my little confession. Okay, so I have it written down, and I because I've been trying to remember these things. I have these flashbacks of something incredibly douchey I've done when I was a kid and uh, I was like oh you have to remember this so let me look at my list here um there was a time remember AOL chat so I was maybe uh 13 or 14 they had the AOL chat rooms and they had like the teenage chat and I um phonetically spelled out a British accent 
and told girls that I was from England and talked to girls in a phonetically spelled out British accent. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how long this bit goes before I share way too much. Anyway, if you, if you guys want to share it with me, then uh, that, that'll make me feel better about myself. Anyway, here's the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Bye. Merry Christmas. and swearing of all kinds was pouring out of me as I screamed.
under Christmas trees. Decorate the house with lights at night. Snow's on the ground, snow white so bright. And the fireplace is the Yule log. Beneath the mistletoe as we drink eggnog. The rhymes that you hear are the rhymes of carols. Like each and every year we bust Christmas carols. Christmas carols. Yo, come on, let's check. You ain't just a man from last night? Santa, Macy? Yo, man, let's go eat, man. I'm other stuff in town like 218 or whatever 812 whatever but Lauren and I have been on a serious bourbon kick it's so good the thing with bourbon is is it makes me warm and it makes me like it makes me warm from the inside yeah you're like oh I don't have a cold dark soul I'm actually when I drink like oh this is how I should feel (laughs) this is this is what a normal person feels like so uh, Are we on? Yeah. Uh, so you're saying Lauren, but Lauren would obviously support any decision that she saw that her husband wanted. But could you tell that she was? Yeah, I mean, you could. I could tell that she's expending energy to deal with this, and she won't let on about it that it's that it's hard. Oh, it's gotta be gut wrenching. And. When I kind of realized the extent of that, I mean, that was certainly a factor in my decision to to retire, to stop, you know? What do you think, uh, I mean, there's the obvious of, like, time apart, whatever, but what was it, what do you think was hard on her to, besides, that she wasn't letting on? I think probably the biggest thing was that the last couple of years, I just, I just don't find the same happiness. You don't walk in the door happy or leave happy. Just, I just don't, I don't find supreme happiness by devoting my life to racing my bike faster and faster. That's not what ultimately makes me happy anymore. Yeah, like you didn't, you don't lay down in bed smiling because you like want to race there. Right, exactly. Even with successes, I the last couple years didn't really feel that way. I was talking. So, like, ultimately, I mean, that's what made it so. This is so hard. Was like ultimately my decision to stop was was a happiness decision. Yeah, and it wasn't like something somebody telling me or something telling me or just a situational thing that made this happen. It was like, ultimately, I myself had to decide that uh, I wasn't as happy as I could be. Yeah. And uh, that was a big cliff to jump off of. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm, like, looking back on that, I'm I'm really proud of that decision because that's... I'm more proud of that decision than almost anything I've done in my career. Just because it was, it was all me. I was the only one who could jump off that cliff. You know what I mean? Nobody pushed me or pulled me. It was. So you had like uh, an offer from Canada. It was going on for a month, six weeks, and it just wasn't happening. So, I mean, if, do you think it would have came through? Yeah, and that's what spurred my final decision. Was like. Oh wow, this is happening. Uh, do I really want this? And then I started thinking, and I'm like, you know, 
no matter the situation, no matter the team, no matter the money, I just don't see myself being as happy as I need to be. Yeah. And because you know you did have an offer from Smart Stuff. Absolutely. You know. You and I, you and I were, you and I were talking about uh, Smart Stuff, and that was absolutely appealing. And I. That was a minimum wage offer. <laughs> I mean, but, you would have been the highest paid but, guy in the team. No, but. and that you know that started the whole kind of question like why am I doing this what is motivating me sure um, is it just the act of racing my bike is no, it yeah. is it racing my bike for the maximum amount of money is it racing my bike for the maximum amount of spotlight and fame and glory you know I was juggling all those like reasons what do you think like the major reasons are so you say there's money there's uh, there's race, uh, big level races. Say uh, let's say uh, Grand Tours, and then maybe lifestyle. You know, you are your own boss to some extent. Mm -hmm. and, then, and and then maybe team camaraderie, being around the guys. Yeah. Is there anything I'm missing? I think the this and this is the thing that I'm thinking about the most just immediately into retirement is just the the adrenaline like yeah you go on 60 miles an hour in a bike race and i mean that's cool that's yeah. fun like that's unique i crave that you know there are times I'll, where you're quacking for position and like it's like between you and one other guy to late break it and you win yeah yeah there's this weird like almost uh, embarrassing amount of satisfaction that yep. comes from that. It's like Cause you kind of like flick the guy, right? You don't hate him, right? You're right. not necessarily even a better <laughs> bike handler. You're just willing to late break him. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's, I mean, just that high. I mean, that that's the drug, for me. Okay, so then there's adrenaline too. Yeah. Gonna... I mean, all those facts you just said are, are right on, but I think there's like a chemical drug to it too. Do you think the uh, the the high from it was kind of that was losing that was like yeah uh, for me yeah you know it's like you know you know my story I've had a few yeah. injuries like a lot of athletes have but I've had a few injuries and for me personally it just it wasn't you know to be risking that much for that high for that adrenaline rush. It wasn't worth to be in the hospital again for three months or to come back from an injury. And yeah. That, I mean, I've done that tons of times. I'm over it, you know. You know what my tactic always was when I crashed, like, or broke something? If it was a if it was a crash that I had to tell somebody about, my tactic was is that I would always call them. Like, I, I made numerous phone calls from the hospital and just pretended like everything was okay. Yeah. And then they say, like, so how'd the race go? And then you say, oh, it was going good, this, that. And I crashed or broke my collarbone. I'm in yeah. the hospital. Yeah. I've given that one a few times. Exactly. No, that's, uh, I'm on the same MO. My my wife and my mom and I have a running joke. And so the, the phone call is, hey, mom, or hey, Lauren, I'm okay, but. <laughs> Don't freak out. Dot, dot, dot. Don't freak out. They're looking for my fingers. <laughs> exactly. I'm I'm okay. I'm conscious, and I'm gonna live. But I'm in the hospital, and you're gonna have to come pick me up. <laughs> so, uh, 
going back to Lauren, what uh, when you told her, like, I read the, the Velen is Encycling News piece when you said you came home from the ride and you you said, no, nah, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. Was she just like, I don't know, was she reserved or did she just say like, like, yeah, this is the, the right decision? Or? Yeah, I mean, you could, it wasn't like a celebration and it wasn't like a, she didn't go like, oh, thank God. Like, it wasn't like an acting fake, like, oh, why are you making this decision? But you could tell she was relieved. And the same thing with my mom. Like, um, similarly but different. Like, she, she'll support me to the end of the earth, but and she wouldn't let on that it was a, a stressor. But, yeah. I mean, imagine as a mom and your kid on the other side of the world is in the hospital with yeah. whatever. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine what that's like. I mean, it must be terrible. And I think it's like the number one reason to not have kids is that they're going to hurt themselves. Right. <laughs> and and my mom has gone through that like two or three times, right. <laughs> you know. And, uh, yeah, she, you know, she breathed a, a sigh of relief that she couldn't really hide either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and... Another cool thing was, you know, I've talked to a lot of my close friends, you know, immediately before, immediately after my decision, and my closest friends, you know, just instantly, without any hesitation, knew this was the right decision. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool, because for a while, I mean, this decision, it's its actually been a long time coming, it's not like yeah. this happened all of a sudden. Um, and for for them, for them to see that that meant a lot because for for a long time I've just been almost wanting someone or something to tell me what to do, to and I was them. exactly, and I was afraid to make this decision for myself, which is why, like I was saying a couple minutes earlier, I'm so proud of this decision because at the end of the day I had to make it by myself. I couldn't depend on someone else to make it for me or some situation to force it on me. It was yeah. just me, you know what I mean? You're not gonna be uh you're not gonna be this guy like who got retirement called on him and then bitter about it and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let me move exactly. the mic. I'm constantly paranoid to turn it off. I did one interview with uh, Dean Golich where it was off for like ten minutes. Ever since then it's just like fuck. <laughs> Paranoid forever. You need to do like double two mics at the same time. Oh, time. a redundant system? Yeah. I could do that. The backup. It wouldn't be good. Um, but you were talking about relief from, you know, your your girl and, and your mom. But when we talked in Colorado, man, I could see you wearing it, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I, you were wearing the... Um, I think there's this guilt that we have, right? And I definitely had it uh, this last year, the beginning of the year. Um, and that's why, you know, I definitely called time on myself was, uh, I think we, I think we feel really guilty. We don't, I, I'm not gonna speak for you, but I, I felt super guilty that I wasn't enjoying my privileged life. And so when I didn't want to run out and train at the earliest possible moment and stay out to the last possible moment. And when I would uh, drop out from the group when it got hard. 
I didn't even know that I was feeling guilty. I just knew that I felt depressed and sad. I didn't like myself, but I didn't know why that was. Yeah. Until I kind of got away from it, and I was just like, oh, no, you were just really ashamed and guilty. Like, yeah. Because you know somewhere in there that you're pulling the plug early. You're I not digging as deep as you can. I think the guilt, for me at least, which I definitely felt, was that, I mean, the ultimate guilt is that is the reality of you're, if you're lying to yourself and you're living your life and you're, you just continue to lie to yourself. Like in my case, it was like being the fastest bike racer I can be is what makes me truly happy. Yeah. And that was like, that was a lie I was telling myself the last couple of years. That, and that, that wasn't the case always. Sure. You know, absolutely not. No, when you're younger, being the fastest thing you can be is just. Absolutely. Living the dream. 100%. So absolutely. But, you, you go through life, you have new experiences, you get older, and, and that priority changes. And, and that was my case. But I was continuing to tell myself that that's what made me happy. But, you know, it's been a couple of years for me to realize that that's not what makes me happy anymore. Yeah. And that was my tough decision, you know. I was uh, talking to... Um... So I talked to David Miller on the podcast in uh, Alberta, and he brought up this really good point and how that we don't even really physically peak until we're in our you know mid early thirties, you know uh, maybe even later thirties. But by then we're so mentally turned off. Yeah. And it's just the case of the the fuckets. You yeah. get a really bad case of the fuckets. Yeah. I, I like. I wonder. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's people like Jens Void or whatever that can just get over and they attack with enthusiasm every day. But I yeah. wonder if there's a way to. Like, how do you keep that going? How do you keep that? Like, that makes like. I mean, I'm not saying it's for a sensationalist comment, but uh, it makes like you know a guy like Lance who wins seven Tour de France's in a row. Like going through that amount of pressure, like anything, you know, at the highest yeah. level for that long. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, I couldn't do it. Well, I mean, it's like kind of a double-edged sword. Like on one hand, you like wish you had that passion and that tenacity to the absolute extreme. Sure. I mean, but on the other hand, I mean, all that comes at a cost. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You can, you can, uh, you can, if you live that passion day in, day out, you could probably ignore a lot of fucking things. Right. Like, I mean, I think to be truly, incredibly world-class or anything, you gotta have a couple screws loose. So if you really have, yeah, like, be best more than a couple screws loose to be the absolute best, I mean, cool, great, you're the absolute best, but, I mean, that, that comes at a cost, you know? Yeah. Yeah, a... I talked to Pat McCarty about it, and he brought up this really good point in that, um, because the scary thing about retiring is acknowledging that you won't be as good at anything as for the, like, on a, on a, if you were to rank every skill and attribute of a human being on a world totem pole, you probably won't be 
to like a 99% certainty, you won't be as good at anything compared to the world as you were at bike racing. I don't know if that's true, though. You don't think so? I don't believe that. Um, in fact, my biggest motivation right now is a that's con. you're Timmy Dugan, dude, and I'm Mike Creed. That's why. That's awesome. What do you... Well, I was talking with my very good best friend, Ian McGregor, the other day, and, uh, and he's kind of my inspiration in my whole retirement process because he had to he had to retire not on his own terms a few years ago after a very promising start to his cycling career and he had to stop because of a health problem and he instantly transferred into real life and he's a great success he's with uh, we're on the show at at, at Scratch Labs and yeah. and more than just his business just life in general I mean he's just awesome. And, uh, Is he ever that good of a bike racer? <laughs> but, but, yeah. On that note, to get to my point, his his point to me was that you're done bike racing, and you might think that's kind of the the end of your awesomeness. But believe me, the greatest thing you're ever gonna do in your life is is still to come. It's after bike racing's over. You know what I mean? And maybe that's cliche to say like oh yeah you'll become a father or whatever and that's the greatest thing you'll ever do but like beyond that you know aside from that you know there's the greatest thing you'll ever do the most impactful thing you'll ever do is more than what you did on a bike and right now that's that's my motivation i see that in ian and that that motivates me that inspires me absolutely ian and has made a lot of himself yeah. after cycling that's for sure absolutely I mean, he threw himself in. I remember, like, what was it? Like, right after he retired, he was just hitting schools, driving back to that yeah. warehouse, wherever Alan had it. Yeah. I mean, he went all in. No, we were just talking about that the other day, and, you know, Ian. Tell him to be on the podcast, would That'd be great. That'd be a good one. Um, but, you know, you, you, you stop, especially as an athlete, you stop on your, on, not on your own terms, and you have this, fire this intensity you have to apply to something it's like in Ian's case he just smashed it in school yeah. just not that he absolutely had to at that moment but no. that's you know he had to be full gas at something no I brought it up in this podcast a lot before I think um, we're so used to dedicating all of our day thinking about how to be a better bike racer that when you take that when you take that skill into uh when you take that skill into real life, like I think you're able to outwork and a lot of people. Like I've noticed that with a little bit that I've been doing. It's just, yep. you know, whether I was helping out with enduro bites or uh, the cycling team or whatever. Like you're able to like really hustle. Like yep. Bike racing is all about hustling, you know. No, you were talking about that in your in our podcast back in August and. I've definitely always kept that in mind. Just like, man, if there's any tool you have post-cycling, it's that, man, nothing's ever going to be that hard. I think. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> different kinds of hard, but like... Yeah, sure. I don't know, but like, if, ultimately, I don't know if we're going to... Hopefully, the majority of the population doesn't have a job where we wake up thinking about it and how to be better at it and and go to sleep thinking about it, how to be better at it, don't eat lunch, how thinking how to be better at it. We're not, you know, like hopefully 
just for the sake of humanity that people don't live that life. Hopefully people have a fairly benign job and as soon as... I think there's a certain kind of brilliance in that, like, when the... when You know, like, when 5 o'clock comes, you drop... You know, like, if I'm walking across a warehouse with a box, the alarm <laughs> hits 5, I drop the box where it fucking left. Like... And I just walk right out the door. I think right. there's a, I mean, that's not like a fulfilling life, but then you take that energy and put it out. Like you right. put it in family. Like I can't wait to get home to my family. Right. I can't wait to get home to whatever you have, whatever. There's a sure. certain brilliance in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully the majority of the world doesn't grow up like a bike racer where they think about every little thing 24 hours a day. Right. Well, in, in cycling and elite cycling and elite sport in general it's it's 24 7 it's all consuming you can't escape one second without the awareness that that's affecting you somehow but then you know you're that factory worker carrying the box five o'clock comes boom you're instantly in your other life yeah whereas in, in athletics and sport you're always always in that you can't ever get out what do you think is I mean, I guess it's not an either or, so this is a really, I guess, a no-win question, but what do you think is better? Do you think it's better to have a job that you can tolerate as soon as you leave the workplace, you stop thinking about it, and you can you can consume all that energy to, you know, to family, to your hobbies, whatever you have, or do you... Do you need a passion project but the upside the downside to that is like you kind of carry it with you yeah if you have a bad day at the office you're not necessarily going to join your home time either yeah i honestly don't know like my, my wife is a teacher and it's very much like you're kind of you're done and you're done like my wife is never working on something at home i mean she's home and it's like we're on vacation like yeah. we can focus on our she life leaves work at work she, exactly, which I think is awesome. Yeah, I mean that's that's awesome. What are you gonna do, man? I guess I didn't let you finish the question. I guess I didn't cut you off. Yeah. Um. But yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I don't know if that's more awesome than a than uh, a job that's kind of you're carrying with you all the time. Um, like like you wake up thinking, I can't wait to get this done. Right. Or you just always have, especially nowadays with iPhones and whatever we have going on, like you can always be working 24-7 if you want to on most things. Yeah. No, I definitely know that with the team director stuff. And that's can, an can, absolute prime example is that yeah, as a create, team injector, I can create team director. work for yeah, myself. Yeah, absolutely. I if I have a down moment. I can email blast the whole team. Right. Some random stupid thought right. that I have about social media. That you think yeah. moves things in the right direction. Dude, yeah. I wrote an email today that I couldn't be more of a hypocrite. If, if I, I wrote an email today about social media policies. I... <laughs> I... <laughs> I felt uh, a pain in my shoulders and in my my elbows and my my fingers, <laughs> and uh, I kid you not, Timmy, it was I I I had to even address it in the email. 
I said, I'm going to make this quick because the longer I write this, the more of a hypocrite I'm going to feel like. (laughs) Um, But basically asking the guys to help with, you know, pushing sponsors and whatnot, social media. And I mean, I remember being in that situation, like getting those emails from the team and being like, no, I have a brilliant joke. I need to (laughs) to spread my timeline. (laughs) So, uh, do you have something lined up, or are you going to take some time? Um. Yeah, no, I very... Well, first of all, my worst nightmare in the world is not knowing what I want to do. There, there's a book, you ever... Uh, you should... I should have brought it. I should have brought it. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. And the main theme in that is that... Um, you don't have something you don't if uh, and the book focused on men so I'm not excluding women it was just a book for men that if a man does not have a task a goal a mountain and even if it's there's a pile of rocks in the backyard on the north side and you need to move this pile of rocks to the south side even if that's a task (laughs) you can do that and you can see at the end of the day that you've moved these rocks right but if you go unmoored and uh, listless for too long, you will get sad. You will get depressed. You right. will get. And I never realized, but like whenever I had like some really bad depression jags or or anything like this, it was like, oh yeah, it was because I. You're not going any direction. Yeah, like I remember some of my worst depression jags. I would be uh, I was on type one, and. Uh, I had a falling out with the team management, and I knew that I wasn't going to race against the rest of the year. I I had like one more uh, chance to bully my way in at Portobos, and I crashed out the first day. And uh, I had this enormous house in in Georgia, and uh, I it was it was July, and I wasn't going to race again. Yeah. And the house was completely empty. It was a like a three and a half thousand square feet house just me and I would lay in bed till 1030 or 11 awake just not like freaking out because I didn't know what to do like I think you so I guess that's a long winded way of saying I agree worst nightmare is not knowing what to do yeah no I mean whether it's like deciding what to eat on a restaurant menu or like what you truly want to do in your life um, so yeah, I kind of, you know, even throughout my career, I always knew what I wanted to do afterwards. And, uh, my biggest passion is, uh, the sport that I started out in, which is alpine ski racing. So I'll be, um, coaching with my, the ski team I grew up on. Nice. The Elthora Mountain Ski Club, uh, near my home in Netherlands. Um, so I'm looking forward to working with the the athletes not so much on a regular basis this year because i've got a lot of ducks in a row i gotta get going um right now but uh next year for sure i'll be more full-time working with with the athletes and uh looking forward to it. what kind of ducks in a row you got going um i'm also getting my real estate license nice uh it's sort of the family family business if you will uh, my parents both been doing residential real estate in Boulder 
Colorado for over 30 years. And that was always something uh, I wanted to become involved in post-cycling. Uh, so right now I'm getting my real estate license and, and phasing in with them at the, the Boulder Property Network at the Remax of Boulder. Um, so yeah, uh, and in addition to that, just having a little fun for myself, going skiing. Um, I really, one of my, the biggest sacrifices I've had to make with bike racing for the last 11 years is I don't get to go skiing very much, which is, yeah. I mean, that's the closest thing to my heart, you know. So I'm going to definitely take a lot of time this winter, do some skiing for myself. Uh, I'm even going to do a, some free skiing competitions, like big mountain, jumping really? off cliffs kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so that'll be my competitive That's outlet. Good. It's good that, as your, I phase that your, out. your wife and mom don't have to worry anymore. Yeah. <laughs> mom, don't worry about it. Snow I'm, is soft. I'm not riding. Uh, Snow is soft. Well, I've seen boulders. And there's no cars. I've seen boulders. <laughs> When you say that you fly off of things, you're not flying off the of snow into snow. <laughs> I think you've been out of it for too long, man. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm just super happy to be multidimensional. You know, like yeah, in in sport, you're just so one dimensional. You, it life is so simple, which is great. Yeah. Like immediately, I'm like full gas from six in the morning to six in the evening with 10 different things. It's anything but one dimensional, which I love. Feeling, uh, feeling totally uh, throwing a bunch of balls up in the air in the morning and managing to catch them all by the afternoon. It yep. is a fun feeling. Exactly. Because normally you would be like, oh, well, I could do maybe one or two things after training. Yeah. But I can't do three or four things. But to right. think like, oh, well, I don't care how my legs feel. Right. And just to to know that, like, you know, your buddy Joe calls you up at 4 p.m. Hey, can you help me um, load some stuff out of my truck? Yeah. Sure. Why not? I've got an hour to kill. And sure. it doesn't matter that my legs feel more tired the next day because I loaded rocks out of your truck. You know, like. Just things like that to be a part of your community, to be in touch with your friends yeah, again. To feel like, like a human being. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, and to not feel like a total bum because you're like, no, I rode seven hours today. I really just going to be a slug for the rest of the day. I can't help you load your Christmas tree. Seven you know? hours. I've ridden two hours. I've, got <laughs> I've, I've never ridden seven hours before. <laughs> I just to sound tough, for example. But, yeah, just to do more than one thing in a day. Yeah. Was, which was previously, I, I mean, that's what I love about sport. Is you dedicate your your day, your life to that one thing, to being very, very good at that one thing. Yeah. But that's at the expense of you miss out on so much else. You miss out on building your skill or building your experience and so much else. Yeah. And then you, you, then you switch from that. Then you... Do you, you want know. do you want to stay in cycling at some level? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you, you're, you're doing the, the conference or... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll continue. So you still be an athlete representative? I'll continue in my role as athlete rep for the USA Cycling Board of Directors uh, for the next... Uh, three years, I believe. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm actually more excited for that now, um, just to have even a more perspective, kind of being on the other side of the fence now. Um, to you, have do, more. you do get a different perspective, man. It wasn't long before uh, being on this side of the fence where I'm like, God, bike racers. Like, the, you know, saying, oh, fucking bike racers. Yeah. You know, what, uh, you're at the conference, what kind of things were you discussing or trying to move forward? Well, I mean, as far as my perspective is interesting, like when you're, when you're an athlete, you're just so selfish, you know? Yeah. You have to be. That's the name of the game. You know, you're conserving energy and you're only worried about yourself. I mean, not ultimately, but for the most part, you are, you know? Yeah. And then when when you let that go, you can your perspective opens up and you can you can be more giving. Your 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 eyes are open to what else is going on for other different kinds of people that maybe you never realize existed before. You know what yeah. I mean? Um. So for me, like in in that kind of standpoint. I just I feel more open and, and receptive to what else is going on in the world instead of just me and my tiny little world as as an athlete. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so now I feel like I can bring my that same tiny world as an athlete and what's important to the athlete, but also kind of more bigger picture. What what else? What other factors are are going on? Do you feel like? Uh, cause I went to the directors' conference and. Uh, I guess, I mean, it might be just some of my own apathy creeping in, but I just kind of felt like there wasn't really anything I could do. You know, like everybody had their agenda. You know, uh, there's there's a director meeting, so there's race directors and team directors, and race directors work really hard to put on the race that they are doing, and, you know, it consumes a lot of their world, so by proxy of that they're gonna think everything that they are doing is fairly important or that it it is a really important race and we should care you know almost as much as they do about this race so it's really hard to get uh, anybody to budge you know like I'm sure I present the smart stop cycling team as a fairly important team when most people might not think it is I mean, so when you go into these kind of conferences, is do you, do you have like a hope that you can kind of push things a certain degree somewhere? Well, I think I mean, that's politics in general, right? It's you get this diverse group of people with different agendas, and it's it's hard to make one move in one direction or, or the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's important to be able to sit back and listen and take in the big picture, and then not necessarily pick the low-hanging fruit, but pick, you know, one or two or three narrow objectives and really focus on on those instead of just kind of taking in the situation and accepting it and doing nothing, you know know what I mean? What are some of the objectives you think that you can take on right now? Um... A, you know, a, a big thing we're talking about in USA Cycling as a whole is just, you know, our, our membership and what's what's retaining members, what's bringing in new members. And, uh, you know, hot hot topic of discussion is 
you know, what what are those factors you know and it's, yeah. yeah um and and maybe it's more than what we're doing as an organization in terms of entry fees or you know what what kind of service is offered at a race or what type of races are we promoting uh maybe it's more of a big cultural shift we're dealing with you know like is is this like a big picture thing or is this kind of a, a little thing we can just kind of nudge and that's going to make a big difference you know so you were looking at because uh we were talking earlier we were comparing notes of the different conferences and uh steve johnson at the at the at, at both of them had basically gave a state of the union address and he showed us maybe it was the same graph of uh, new members and how long they retain those new members until they drop off and the different reasons for that and uh, USA Cycling has a big belief that it's because of maybe lack of racing or distance to racing um, I don't know I, I, I explained to you earlier I kind of thought it was like the like the gym membership or exercise equipment analogy like I think people buy it with the best of intentions Thinking, oh, next year I'm going to lose, um, this winter I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I'm going to show up to racing and I'm going to be the local hammer fist. And right. then, you know, family creeps in. Right. Reality like sets in. Yeah, oh. then you're not fit, so then it doesn't make sense to go, you know, an hour drive away to right. and spend 60 on entry, another 60 on gas, whatever. Right. And then by making the races you know, 30% more frequent and 20 miles closer, I mean, that's not going to make a difference to that person. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's USA Cycling. I mean, have you ever been to a bike race and be like, well, that's 50 miles away. Uh, if it was 30 miles away, I would go, but 50 miles, that's a lot. I'll tell you this. I, I've heard <laughs> Boulder pros complain about races in Colorado Springs before. Yeah, I, 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 we were talking about that earlier, like racing in Colorado Springs. I have to say, uh, I haven't been down in this part of the country that much. <laughs> you get pretty fucking spoiled, man. Yeah. We're, we're lucky. We're lucky to have that quality racing and that mini races right here on the front range between Colorado Springs and Fort Collins. Yeah. Um, and to be able to be snobby about, oh, man, I can't ride to this bike race. Oh, shit. <laughs> Did you fucking live in the Netherlands? You know how many people would normally ride to races? Like, maybe... <laughs> five percent you're just one of the psychopaths who figure like oh i'll climb three thousand feet home no that's what the bus is for got my bus pass <laughs> you just climb on the bus in your chevy yeah all the time my, my ten thousand dollar bike is on the front of a ten thousand dollar bus <laughs> all the time really all the time when, i mean when i when i was racing depending the weather depending the my training that day I would, uh, you know, ride down the hill, ride down closer to Boulder, and then take the bus back up, or vice versa. If the weather was bad, I would take the bus down, down the hill, so I didn't have to ride in the cold. Oh, man. And then ride back up. <laughs> but I ride the bus every day. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining my Timmy image, man. I had this image of Timmy, like, for an hour training, would, like, ride you know, 20 minutes downhill, 40 minutes back home. <laughs> like, oh, that's now, that's Timmy training. 
I have to do the same ride every day then. You know what uh, blows me away, Tim, is uh, you you were saying that you thought you've been thinking about the retirement thing for a while. But you only won a national championships two years ago. You went to the Olympics two years ago. Well, for me, the game changer was my my head injury yeah. in 2008. And every year since that, there was probably, there'd be like, a big portion of the season that I'm like, this is it. I'm I'm done after this year, you know. But then it would, you know, I'd, I'd always keep doing my best, you know. I'd always keep hitting it. And then at the end of the day, you know, I was happy with the the situation. I was happy with my results. I was happy with the money. I was happy with, you know, it was enough to justify keeping going. You know, sure. like I was happy sure. enough, you know. Um, and that's been the last five years, every year, I feel like that. It's just, at the end of the day, it's just enough to keep going, you know what I mean? And this year, I finally, I think, came to terms with that. Um, even though, you know, arguably, after my best season of my career, yeah. I, I'm on the, at uh, Saks of Tinkoff, I was, it was the best situation I've ever been in in my career. I was so happy at, at that team. And yeah, dude, you won like this crazy off-season shuffle. Like most people, 90% of situations, oh, okay, I'm leaving a pro tour team for a pro conti team. Holy shit, that pro conti team folded. Oh, never mind, I'm on Saks of Rank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was all over the place. Ultimately, I sort of landed on my feet. I mean, I did land on my feet, but it wasn't, you know, obviously what I signed up for initially. What is, what was Saxon Bank like, man? It was just the, Saxon was the ultimate international team. You know, I mean, we had 12 different nationalities and, um, just, just like it's portrayed in the media and, and our image is, you know, we're, we're a team. I mean, it's not, a few individual riders here and there it's like we we are a team and that's exactly what it was you know i've never felt more at home and and glued, really? and glued together with all of my teammates all of my staff i mean we're strangely cold from the outside a huge family no i've i've never been happier from from that perspective wow that's cool it was awesome and uh yeah you just i totally wanted to go go to war with all of my teammates every day yeah i was perfectly happy to do that what do you think bred that? Who are? Where do you, where do you think that cult that came from? Was it from a Bjarna or was it just from everybody? The personality. You know, I mean, it's just the vibe in the team, and I don't know what the ultimate root of that is. Yeah. I mean, you know, we do a lot of team building activities and stuff, but it, it's not like, oh, because we went rock climbing together, <laughs> we have this vibe. You sure. know, I mean, it's it's more than that. I mean. I think selecting the right guys is, is a big factor for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I was hugely happy. At, what's your thought session. on from, I mean, you're probably a little bit out of the loop now, but what's your thought on Tinkoff coming in and buying out the team? Effectively? Yeah, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, Oleg is, is definitely the, the coolest billionaire that, that I know. He's like <laughs> a frat boy, huh? 
Um, yeah. He, uh, at our team building camp, he, you know, he'd ride with us. He'd go bungee jumping with us. He's, really? he's one of the guys, but, um, you know, obviously, uh, as everyone knows, he, he's got a voice. He's not afraid to, to show it. Sure. And, um, and I mean, he's a self-made entrepreneur billionaire in Russia. I mean, he's got every reason to be able to say what he wants and do what he wants. And, um, so yeah, he's, he's in a u unique position and, um, yeah, I hope, uh, you know, I, I won't be back at the team next year, but I, I hope it goes well for them, yeah. but it'll be, uh, you know, obviously the, the dynamic that we saw on the tour with, you know, Oleg and the, his Twitter account and everything. It's like, yeah, I feel like it's, Twitter should have a function where like it stops at like after ten forty five. Yeah, <laughs> like, it just shuts off. Like but, you have to do a blood alcohol test. <laughs> like you blow into it. Like, are you sure? Do you really want to have some of this tweet? How much have you been drinking? Because I, you know what, we're gonna hold on to this tweet till the morning. If you still want to send it, then okay. But for right now, <laughs> we're gonna give you a couple chances to hit the go button. <laughs> but I mean. That's an interesting thing about Saxo Tinkoff team as a whole is just there's it's so international. It's not any one kind of credo that runs sure. the team. It's not like an Italian vibe or an Anglo vibe. It's like this. It's like a United Nations of bike racing teams. Yeah. So I mean that, that's good on on one hand, but it's it's hard to you, you can never really homogenize it on, was, on the other hand Bianca you know a big part of the team or because you know like if you watch like some of the earlier csc stuff it didn't seem like he was so worried about running the team as much as he was running a cycling team you know we're dealing hands-on with the riders but then it seems like every year he gets more and more distant from the riders because he was searching for sponsor money yeah i would I would say that's the case. I mean, kind of like a Charlie's Angels kind of feel like. Yeah, you always feel his influence, but he's definitely not there day to day. No. You know. Who is like your main contact there? Though? Actually, an, an amazing job that the team did was like, um, you know, within our handful of directors, every rider, you know, there's a group of riders with each director, and that was. You know, I had so and so as my director, and that was my go-to guy. You know, for I anything I had, uh, I had Dan Frost. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Never heard of him. so yeah, you have you have any issue, and you have a go-to guy. You don't just kind of put it out in the cloud and hope that it gets fixed. You know Who's what I mean? Dan Frost. Uh, Danish guy. Okay. Awesome. Awesome guy. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, all the directors we had at, at Saxon were awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. I and I think that's so rare in cycling is having directors that just you know smart stuff, dude. Truly get it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you you and I were talking for for a while, and I was saying that a big motivator for me at Smart Stop would be working with Mike Creed. I think you should just sign with Smart Stop. So then we get into our California. I think that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll edit this part of the podcast <laughs> out. And you just sign. And then we'll make this big story. And then, you know, you can make up some knee injury thing. 
I don't know. We'd have to do this quick because I'm getting fatter by the day. My no, dude, I'm telling you, you, you would never even have to show up to camp. I'll just, I'll pay you like you count as like a retirement, like a 401k for cycling, just for getting me in Tor, California. Because if I say I have Timmy Dugan, then how did the uh? So then you were on the fence with Saxo, or Saxo was kind of like no, I never heard anything from Saxo. That's the thing, Charlie's Angels. I never even heard from Bjarna. He couldn't even get him to call me. But then how did the, the Candale thing come back into the, 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 the frame? Uh, I started talking to uh, the powers that be at Cannondale, and then we had a verbal agreement, and then it took forever for anything to happen. So during that time, you know, I mean, if when we made that verbal agreement, if we had a contract within the week, I'd have been set. My eyes, my, you know, my perspective never would have changed I don't dial like if they just would have had you that that contract earlier you'd be racing again for another year yep but then because it took so long and it was such a joke really uh I just like opened my eyes to the rest of life and I was like you know what I got better things I want to do other yeah. things I want to do other things that make me happier yeah and uh so I pulled the trigger on that instead, you know. That's fucking cool, man. Um. Uh, yeah. No, you're gonna be fine, man. You did just fine. I just, I'm so tired of things being up to other people, and I'm so tired of being on the fence and not knowing, you know, what was, what my next year was gonna entail, and. Now, after retiring, I just, I feel more alive and I feel more in control than I ever have. That's good. Which is awesome. Before we end this podcast, I do have a confession. We talked on the last podcast about the first time we had met each other. And uh, I, I, I realized I didn't lie in the moment. In the moment, I gave you a truth. But then, upon reflection, I realized that there was a, an earlier time. Uh, it was at the uh, Isigum team house where we had met and uh, this is really embarrassing for me to say right now so you're going to bear with me <laughs> but uh, I think most people know is that you have a cleft palate and I had never seen a cleft palate before in my life I had not known what it was and I s saw you and you, you have a small scar above your, your lip I had thought holy shit this guy gets in a lot of fist fights <laughs> and I thought that you had gotten in a fist fight or a knife fight and that you were not to be one to fuck with because <laughs> I'm not joking because you were super quiet and you kept to yourself and you had a scar like you get in fights <laughs> and I remember thinking I, I remember now being really intimidated by you <laughs> thinking Wow, this kid. <laughs> you know, like I bust a lot of balls. Maybe not this guy. <laughs> Thanks for for sharing that much. <laughs> no, no problem. No. Thanks for doing the podcast today. Absolutely, man. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Not the end of the podcast. Like I said earlier, turn the mic off. Timmy started talking. And it was really, really interesting, and um, uh, I turned the mic back on. It might have been a mistake. We were drinking, so this might not be interesting at all. But 
You have to listen to it. Okay. You think you know what's coming up? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You're not worried about the potential surprise. Yeah. Maybe that's why I just keep starting things. And I don't ever fucking follow through with them. Like, even with the podcast, I think, like, okay, when should I end this? Like, when is the fucking finish line for this? Because I don't, I don't want to be a journalist. I don't want to, I don't want to make this a two or three year thing. I would like for this to have a finish line. And same with uh, helping out with enduro bikes, like, or the cycling team. Like, I don't want to be a Team DS for the rest of my life. I think that's why. Fuck, man. Maybe, maybe you've pointed out something there. Maybe that's why it's so much easier to start things. There's excitement starting something. Well, I mean, that's exactly it. Like, see if you can pull it off. Well, when we started bike racing, it's like I was the happiest I ever was in the sport because you're just like the potential is limitless. And you're like, ah, I'm gonna win the Tour de France, like, ah. Dude. And then every year, even though maybe your situation gets better, you make more money, like you're more famous, whatever. Yeah. Like on paper, everything's better, but you're. It's less exciting because reality, you learn more and more about what's real. Yeah. What's. Dude, seriously, what was it like going to the Olympics? Was that fucking crazy? Oh, highlight of my career. Absolutely. Like, defining. I probably maybe wouldn't retire if I hadn't gone to the Olympics. Is it hard to not, Just turn, to, is it hard to not turn into a tourist? What do you mean? Like, oh, okay, now I'm at the Olympics. Like, to not, like, you want to ride really good. You don't want to be taking photos every 30 seconds. You don't want to be mugging for Photoshop with the with the cop with the stupid hat. For, you know, for me, like, whenever I was at a big race that was a focus of mine, the Olympics being the biggest, primest example, I would just kind of pretend it was just like a joke and it was stupid and I, like, wasn't really into it and just I wouldn't absorb you're pretending but but I mean I I realized the gravity of the moment but I wouldn't act on it you You know like I would kind of play it down like at the the Olympics prime example like oh yeah it's the Olympics it's just you know did you go to the Olympic village yeah yeah we stayed there yeah um so, yeah, you know, it was, it was a tough balance to, like, take that all in because that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yeah. But for me, I have to play that down. I can't absorb that nervous energy and be like, oh, man, it's the Olympics. I got to freaking turn it on here. Because you would just turn off mentally if you let it in. I mean, I always do better when I just – I mean, I have to absorb the pressure, like the, the Olympics, huge pressure. I had a big job, and I needed to perform, and – but the way I can do that is by pretending it's not a big deal and to not think about it very much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, oh, look at all these turkeys along with me on the start line. Like, you're from <laughs> Kaplakistan and you're from, you know, it's like, it's sure. kind of funny. We're all wearing different uniforms than what we normally wear and it's kind of silly. And yeah. All right, let's go race a bike race. And, and then... Yeah. And then you perform because you didn't do anything differently than what you normally do. 
That's funny because I was the I was the opposite. I needed to back myself into a corner. I needed to give myself no other option. Like I needed to take in the gravity. Yeah. Again, that's why I get to do it on my tree. But that's what I would do in the race. Like once the gun went off, it was like you have to make this happen. I don't care if you're like bleeding out of your eyeballs. Right. This has to happen. But up until the start line, I'm just trying not to do anything differently than what I normally do. Do you have like uh, did Lauren and the Transformers one? Yep, they did. That's yeah. fucking cool. Which man. was awesome. I'm so happy to share that with them. You know how weird it is. Like this is how. Uh, I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but like this is how self-centered I am. Where I. <laughs> I immediately think, wow, that's a really good memory for your wife to know that her husband would do it. <laughs> Instead of thinking like, oh, well, you'll get to take in the Olympics yourself. Like, I would like to think that I would have a significant other that could remember have... their significant other being in the Olympics. <laughs> like, I would... God, I'm so <laughs> twisted. Um, but no, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that what that appeals to me to think that like, oh, like it's like a oh look, babe, I'm not wasting our life. Look where I made it. Yeah, I made it to the Olympics. Like, thanks for not yanking me off of the bike after but, the crash. But that's the thing, though. Like, even even that, like, you're always you're like striving for that. Like, you think you get there and then everything's okay. That's not the case. I mean, like, like for for me, you know, even a, a, attaining my goals just made me content. It didn't change my life in terms of oh, I'm so much happier now. And that's always what you think is going to be the case when you reach your goal. But you're just like you're just content, and then you're on to the next one. Did you ever get like a? I guess the Olympics sticking out of my mind, so I'm harping on that. But did you ever get like a post race blues? Like where you would come from this big thing, like say the Olympics, and uh, tons of people by the roadside, accreditations, Olympic Village. Uh, you, uh, you understand the significance of the event. And then you kind of like go home and it's quiet and you're by yourself. I remember um, I did Tour California one year, and I made the 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 winning break. I got fourth in the final stage, and I was I felt like I could have won, but you know, like I had handicapped and I've already settled in the no group. Like, what was I yeah. gonna do, right? Yeah. And uh, I I remember being really like amped up, like, okay, I'm coming back. I can go to the. I, I feel like I can make it back to the pro tour. All these things. And then I got on the plane. And I was in my bed four hours later. Yeah. And it was totally quiet. And nobody was home. Just me. I remember getting like really fucking sad. Like, does that happen? Did you get that with the Olympics? When. When I got that the most, that feeling. When um, uh, one of my 
proudest moments of my career. I was second in the stage of the Dauphiné Libre. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of my big comeback result after my, my brain injury. And, you know, I just incredible day. I lost the race in a two-up sprint by, like, a tire width. Yeah. And just that tire width meant the difference between spraying champagne on the top of the podium to instead I was second. So yeah, I got in the car with my wife, and we drove to middle of nowhere in the mountains where we were staying and we were eating magnum bars and drinking a bottle of wine by ourselves you know <laughs> it's like just man i just had the biggest result of my career and, and in your here. mind maybe that was gonna be the biggest result ever in your career yeah. you had no idea for seeing what was yeah. coming yeah and and yeah i mean there's no yeah i did like a couple interviews afterwards but you weren't spraying in the champagne, you know. Yeah. You weren't getting like a ten or twenty thousand dollar bonus. Yeah. And yeah, but I mean that's a sport, that's life. It's like but com- you, you converting know, those seconds, those you inches. You obviously remember that moment though of just feeling like Yeah, just a let kind of you know, it's definitely a letdown. if those are the moments that take us out of it you know we talked earlier about um getting the case of the buckets the older you get yeah i wonder if those are the things that bring on the buckets well you realize like how much you're sacrificing day in and day out and then even if you do attain your goal and so what like your life totally changes no, you're just you're kind of back at zero, you know. Like as an athlete, you're just you're never ahead. You're never yeah. ahead of where you need to be. You're like you're never good yeah. enough. You're always striving to be better. Like when are you actually? Hey, look at Wiggins. On Wiggins. top of it, Wiggins won the Tour de France. Doesn't win it the next year. Everybody thinks he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Even though he like. Won Tour de Great Britain, did second TP Worlds. Yeah. Most. Yeah, won one, one, uh, stage of Tour Poland. Went, yeah, maybe like 99% of riders' career highlights. Yeah. He had an off year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, Wiggins sucks, man. Yeah. Like, dude, if I won the stage of Tour Poland. Yeah. Anytime Change you everything. Me, all you would tell, all I'd be telling you about is. Did <laughs> <laughs> I ever tell you about the time I won Poland? <laughs> Where? Poland. <laughs> Tell you about it. I woke up. <laughs> it was July 18th. I was in Warsaw. We stayed in a little suburb outside a nice micro hotel. There was at least six to eight people in the crowd. I woke up that day and I said, Mike, today is your day. Anyway, 158 riders got directed off course while I was off on a stupid solo breakaway, and I won by 10 seconds. <laughs> really felt like I would have won anyway. (laughs) But, yeah, you have a huge result. You make a big goal, but it doesn't really change the humanity of it. You know, you still got to go home and go to sleep and be by yourself. When you retired, man, did your phone just blow up? Yeah, that was awesome. Lauren and I just sat back, 
drank some wine, looked at all the Facebook and Twitter messages, and it was just so awesome to see all the support and the people that I've touched. And 90% of the people that made these messages and stuff on the internet, like I'd never, I don't even know who they are, yeah. but I'd made a difference in their life to to comment on, you know? And that was, that was super cool. It's nice to think that you have support from people you've never given anything to or met. Yeah. I mean, you that makes you feel guilty too, you know? You're just like, well, what can I, <laughs> what can I do? What can I say? And they always have like this really like oblique and nice answer. It's like, oh, I just really appreciated what you've done. And you're just like, you're kind of selfish too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I'm glad you don't think I'm a bad person, but sometimes I feel like a bad person. There's just like a darker inside to it all yeah. than what you see on the outside, you know? That you, that maybe you feel as an individual. And maybe it's not even real, it's just your perception as as the individual. Yeah. And like what's real? Like your perception from inside of you or what the rest of the world perceives? Or what's really real? <laughs> the thing is, is you can't live somebody else's reality. Yeah. Like somebody, you don't, somebody else's idea of you, that doesn't like put you to bed at night. That doesn't. Yeah. So yeah. not to diminish what other people think of you, but in the end, it's what you think about yourself, right? It's what, what, what makes you happy. Because at the end of the day, you can have a hundred million people singing you praise and you might not even be happy. Or you can be happy and the whole world hates you. Yeah, I've noticed I've noticed with the with the, the Twitter thing, like you can get a hundred positive comments and you you only focus on the two negative ones. Yeah. It's really like I told you about it, like deleting Twitter off your phone. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll put it on my computer but I'm not on my phone. So like every free moment I get I'm not saying something stupid or checking my at mentions right. like a psychopath. Right. Like you think about the at mention function, right? And I don't know how you would, you would bring that parallel into real life, but like, if you uh, if you knew that somebody was continuously thinking about what people are saying about them every free moment they had, so uh, let's say. Um, I'll just be perfectly honest with myself uh, about myself to other people. I wake up in the morning, I have a cup of coffee, I check my app mentions. I uh, I do a little bit of work, boom, boom, I check my app mentions. You know, and then if somebody, if, and so you, you take that aside, right? I'm just being honest with myself. Let's say before noon, I've checked my app mentions four or five times. If somebody told you, like, this person uh, thinks about what others are saying about them five to six times a day before noon, you would think they were 
crazy. <laughs> you would think that they're like, oh, I have an issue. Right. But because it's on Twitter, somehow we give it a pass. Right. That's exactly true. <laughs> like, I really think everybody should delete Twitter off their phone. I agree. And not just obsessively wonder what people are saying about them. Yeah. Or just, I guess, get rid of it altogether. But I try to get rid of Twitter. But it's weird. Like, you never look for that reinforcement before Twitter. And all of a sudden, it's like a necessity. Yeah. Yeah, because it is nice when somebody says something, like, nice. Sure, of course. Like, oh. But then somebody says something mean, and somehow, like, (laughs) we we can't focus on what somebody said nice again. Yeah. Like, okay, Johnny Hammersticks 56 says, uh, I'm a dick, (laughs) but, uh, Pie Pie Guy, Pie Pie Lover says that, uh, you know, I have really nice hands, and I don't know. Some reason I believe in Johnny Hammersticks. But at the end of the day, it's all just the creepy people sitting at home on the internet at noon on a you Tuesday. Know, <laughs> <laughs> you're, well, you're we're looking, one of them, dude. We're checking. <laughs> like everybody looking for reinforcement from them. I know, but every like the, the cop out cliche is like, oh, it's some guy living in his mom's basement, right? That's always the line. But then it's like, well, fucker, I'm checking the same site he is. It's just I don't from, live in my mom's basement from my Blackberry while I'm driving down the road in my Audi. Dude, first so off, what? you're the last fucker with a Blackberry. I love this thing. <laughs> I tell you my Blackberry story. I had a Blackberry for the longest time, right? Since I was, um, I don't know, man. Since I was like 23, 24, I had a Blackberry. Uh, gave people endless amounts of shit that had an iPhone. Oh, fuck your iPhone. I got a Blackberry. Oh, you got your iPhone? Uh, last year, right before Tour of California, I got an iPhone. And I'd given guys on the team with iPhones so much shit. Like, so much shit that I knew I was in trouble when I got the iPhone. So immediately, like, when I got the iPhone, I would just make fun of anybody without an iPhone. <laughs> like pretend like that was jump my, on the bandwagon. Yeah, pretend like that was my original statement the yep. whole time. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you this, Timmy. iPhones are way better, dude. I Lauren and I tried it for two weeks last summer in what? Europe. We brought him. Lauren came over to Europe with the iPhone for the summer with like, both of our new iPhones, like in an the unlocked box. iPhones or something. Yeah, and. We both like gave them the proper try, and we really? just both cracked in like ten days. You guys like, are from Netherlands, man. You guys are fucking true mountain people. <laughs> Screw this. We're back to our old school Blackberries. Really? <laughs> yeah. You may be the only people in the world who've gone uh, Blackberry iPhone Blackberry. But I'm gonna have to switch. I'm sure because Blackberry will go out of business. I mean, this thing is just like so light and cheesy feeling. Ah, uh, it's awesome. I just I can't like ride my bicycle with a six hundred dollar iPhone in my back pocket. Yeah, that's true. Cause look at my Starship Enterprise. Look at my screen. <laughs> <laughs> I, You've dropped that more than once. I ran over it in a car. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm surprised it still works. You can get the screen replaced for like 40, 50 bucks. But That's amazing. Yeah. The thing I like about the iPhone though is I 
carries all your music. Carries all your music, all your. Uh, I'm a talk radio podcast nerd, so it has all that, and then it has games. So, Blackberry doesn't have games. So that's what I like. I like it to. I like to be able to send emails from wherever I am. Yeah. And to, in an emergency, be like, I'm searching for some place on Google Maps. Where the heck is it? And I can find it. Why do you think iPhone doesn't have a mapping function? It doesn't? No, why do you think it doesn't? Wait, I could do an emergency. I could look up mapping on the iPhone. It doesn't have, like, a GPS on it? What, what no, do it does. Mean? That's what I'm saying. Like, that's why you love your BlackBerry. You're, you're explaining that's why you love your BlackBerry, but it has the same with iPhone. No, I'm just that's that's just like all I need. It's all it's like oh, gotcha. Mike Creed calls me and says, "Hey, I'm gonna meet you at you know the Blueberry Restaurant." Yeah. And I'm like, "Well, where the hell is the Blueberry Restaurant?" And I have to Google Blueberry Restaurant and figure out where it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I don't need to like I don't know watch YouTube videos on like Blackberry when I'm yeah, so now too, there's so many cute kitten photo like, videos <laughs> of them playing with balls of twine. <laughs> I want a bulldog so fucking bad. I oh, you've been talking about that forever. I'm not joking when I say it. Uh, I maybe once a week will watch. We'll go to YouTube, put in like cute bulldogs, bulldog, funny ball bulldogs, of yarn. funny bulldogs, silly bulldogs. <laughs> And just, like, from the core of my being, want. Like, it's just <laughs> want. It's all that's in it's all that's in me. But I just, I, I don't know, I guess I'm scared because they get sick a lot. And they, you know, like. You seen Pat McCarty's bulldog? Louie? It's not a bulldog, it's a pit bull. No. No, it's a bulldog. No, it's not. It's not a pit bull, for sure. The Roddy? No, he's like a bulldog, like you want. No. Like no, with no. the big bass and everything. It's, it's midnight. We can't call that. <laughs> you know how close I am to calling that? <laughs> I'm going to call that. Hold on. This is going to be good. <laughs> Pat! What kind of dog is Louie? Mm-hmm. He's like a bulldog. Saw Pat a couple days ago. It's Nori's picking up. Do you know what Andy's doing next year? Have you told you? How how much of a did you not see that coming? His retirement. Yeah. Or what he's doing now. I don't know. I don't know what I thought he would do. Yeah, I didn't think he was gonna be doing that. Hey Pat, uh, Timmy Dugan and I are hanging out here doing a podcast, and he claims that Louie is a bulldog. I'm saying that he's a pit bull. Obviously, it's midnight, so you're not gonna get back to us. But eventually, please clarify. Please clarify. Thanks, bud. <laughs> and, oh yeah, by the way, they say press 1 for more options if I'm done with the message. What other fucking options are there? 
<laughs> what else am I going to do? I could already text you or leave a message. Is there a one for an option of waking you the fuck up? <laughs> I bet. Electroshock. One for more options. What? You're going to find me somebody who knows Cat's dog? <laughs> you don't know what I want, lady. <laughs> Pat uh, is um he's directing directing Optum Women. I felt so bad because he told me that over text, and I replied with "Shut the fuck up, no way." And then he was like, "No," and then I realized later like how like dismissive that meant. I I like wrote him a text message the next day like, "Hey man, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't. Hey, if that came off as mean, I really I feel bad." <laughs> Just saying, I didn't see you ever running on women's team. <laughs> you psychopath. I don't know what I saw him doing. Uh, he's, he's a, I like Pat a lot. I gotta get him on the podcast. That'd be a good one. Yeah. We should get like a podcast of the whole like a group original national team, like a TA craft national team. Yeah. Jam. Yeah. Ian. Ian would be a fucking good one. Supposedly I got Mike Friedman coming up. He keeps dodging me. Yeah. I haven't talked to Mike in a while. I don't think he knows who I am. Friedman sent me this. So I was telling him, like, hey, man, I'll set this up. And then he was replying, like, well, I don't know if you're just going to, like, make fun of me and make me look like an idiot. I think I just... People are afraid to do the podcast with you, man, because they're afraid they have to open up. No, I like being with you. I think I feel. I guess maybe that's it. I always thought they were afraid that I thought I was just gonna fuck with them, but like, I no, get, you I, have the most honest, real conversations with anyone I've ever talked to. Yeah, I just thought it was. But people are afraid of that. I don't think they're that. They're not that honest, but they're. I, I guess I always assumed it was because they thought I was going to like try to mock them out or get them to say something bad or you know like I'm not out to make anybody look like that but it's like we were saying earlier you know like um like I understand that like doping stories and, and bad news and controversy are always going to get the most clicks and uh if you can just add a little a little bit of and I'm, I'm not, this sounds like I'm talking about myself, but I'm not. Uh, like, there has to be a filtered excellence, you know, with all the noise of, noise out there. There has to be something better. There has to be something. For better or for worse, when you and I got into cycling, there weren't doping stories. Yeah. And that made us, like, really fall in love with it. And I find myself, like, really, like, still loving a lot of, the uh, cycling culture from the days that everybody considers dirty. Yeah. You know, like you see a random picture from like 1994 with, you know, uh, uh, a Pulte kit, Luke LeBlanc in a Pulte kit. And it's just like, you know, he's riding like helmetless in Paris Roubaix. And you're just yeah. like, that's so ridiculous. <laughs> I can't help but love it. You know? Right. I, don't, I, I don't know. I think that's. I guess that's why I kind of want to do the podcast a little bit, is to kind of make people seem cooler than a soundbite. 
Yeah. Cooler than that. You know what I find though? Like I, f- I, I never, I always kind of like was adversarial to journalists when I talked to them. I always kind of thought, cause I resented them for always writing like the, the dope and stories or the bad news bear stories. But I'm kind of realizing those people are just, they're really good to talk to cause they have a lot of perspective. And if you tell them their story, they'll tell you your story, you know? Hopefully. When you when you did the retirement piece, were you happy with how the story came out? Yeah, with almost, with with every one of them. Yeah. If I wasn't a hundred percent happy, I was ninety-seven percent happy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's media. Like, you try as hard as you can to get your exact point across, but it's never perfect. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think the best thing you can do with with media is just tell your story, be yourself. Um, no, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of really awesome journalists in the last week and definitely got, I'm, I'm really happy with my story, my, my vision that I've gotten across to the, to the media. I'm happy. Yeah. It's crazy to think that we go back to the, we should get everybody on the podcast, the whole national team. Crazy to think that like as independent contractor as cycling can be, like that we met each other when we were under twenty three, and then it's not like we stay in contact a lot, but you still have all these shared experiences and yeah. understanding. There's connection. Like you're never gonna have a coworker like that. Yeah. We're just like, oh no 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 like. We went to some shitty races in Belgium and France together when we were like, when we didn't know shit. Yeah, yeah. And no, we, you know, we see each other like grow up, like, yeah. effectively. We went to war together, you know? Yeah, and against each other, like in some certain yeah. circumstances. You're just like, because you're always fighting for the, the world spot. Right, right, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Like we roomed together at the World in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember... You remember this ride we did in Hamilton? I, re- I remember, but you were, it was like the day before the tie trial, and you were just like eating cookies on the bed. You're like, it's the day before the race. How much can you, how much weight can you gain the day before the last race of the season? Oh, dude, I wasn't even going to remember this story, but to tell you, I have this prank I do. It's outdated now with cell phones, but it's before cell phones. I have this prank I do when um, the hotel phone rings. I pick up the hotel phone and I say, uh, all right, so we're with, right now we're in a Marriott. Hotel phone rings. I pick up the phone. I say, Marriott, front desk, how may I help you? <laughs> and uh, the person usually stunned and says oh I'm sorry I was trying to get room uh, 435 uh, and I say oh no problem I'll connect you and I mash my key my fist on the keypad and I hang up the phone and they call back and they do it again and I see how many times that they'll do it and I hang up do you remember me doing that to your mom <laughs> to my mom <laughs> let me ask her I did that like twice in Hamilton in Hamilton because I figured it was a Swanee or a mechanic or somebody and then finally the third time I was like I can't do it again 
Uh, and then you pick up the phone and you're like, oh, hey, mom. I'll have to ask her. That's good. Also, I was going to ask you if you remember this train ride we did in uh, Hamilton. There was a couple of them. One of them, we decided to go ride the TT course and do openers. Because you and I were doing the TT that year. Yep. And uh, somehow we had lost Noel Bionic. He was following us. Yep. And the hotel was maybe 50K away yep. from the course. I remember. We completely lost him. We're now we're in downtown Hamilton. And it's fucking cold. So cold. And we, I think we'd like full on given up. Like we were lost. Yeah. And then yep. out of nowhere, we see Noel Yonker zoom by. He sees us slamming the brakes. He pulls over and he's like, man, I was on the way back to the hotel. <laughs> It was the day we before were, the world champion. We were this close to being like totally. Yeah, totally like well, I think about that a lot. Like, what the fuck would we have done? <laughs> like, we didn't have any world sense. Yeah. Like, I guarantee we didn't know the name of the hotel we were staying at. Right. We weren't smart enough to take a like a hotel uh, business card with us. We didn't have phones with us. We didn't have phones. I guarantee. <laughs> I don't know what we would have fucking done. I don't know either. And then there was the other ride where we decided to, because uh, it was so cold, we started riding the trainer, and then we said, fuck it, we can get out for like a half an hour on the road. And we started, and we started riding directly into the darkest cloud I've ever seen. <laughs> Remember, we turned around just in time, and there was hail. It started hailing like 10 feet behind us. <laughs> Remember this? And like... The other, the, we'd left with the group, and the group that we'd left with was 20 feet behind us, and they were getting they hailed, were getting hailed on, on. And you and I were on our TT bikes <laughs> riding as fast <laughs> as we could. <laughs> and we, like, we ended up like not getting hailed on at all, but the group like 20 feet behind us was just getting shit on. Oh, man. Yeah. You were, what were you, fifth? That year? Yeah. Yeah. I went out way too slow. I think I could have gone medal. I went out way too slow. I was too scared. I had the fastest lap of the race. Yeah? Yeah. The first, the second lap. Second lap. Fastest lap of the race. But I, I don't know. I finished the, I was so afraid of blowing up. I just kept way too much in the pocket. And I, I remember, because we did two laps. I remember I hit the final, the, you know, second final lap and I'm thinking like oh shit I remember like thinking fuck you went way too easy yeah I just saw a picture of myself from that race really today and I was I was so huge I must have been like 10 pounds bigger 15 pounds bigger just a little bodybuilder I was just yeah still like ski racer body I was just like a huge block of muscle <laughs> I saw that I saw a picture I have a picture for me from that race and I saw it yeah same not so long ago and I had one of those really uh, remember that was back then when TT helmets didn't have to have any protection yeah we had fake helmets yeah. and I had like one of those Rudy Project alien helmets yeah with the yeah double eye the bug eyes bug yeah I remember thinking how fucking cool that was I don't think I ever even realized that those helmets weren't real helmets. <laughs> How could you not? <laughs> I don't possible? think it was until afterwards I was like, 
That's a really crappy house. <laughs> I can't believe I was going 50 miles an hour down the hill through corners in the water. Just the fact that it was even a rule. <laughs> like, well, you have to wear it. <laughs> like, they wouldn't have let you start unless you had a fucking milk jug on your head. <laughs> Hey, did you, uh, did you hollow out that milk jug? Did you put a chin strap on it? Alright, go ahead. Stop for a guy when he has a flat. Fuck him. Eat shit, loser. 